0: happens when you can't work in veterinary medicine anymore this week we want to explore what you should be thinking about to prepare for an eventual exit out when that happens how it happens there's a lot to discuss this week on the veterinary viewfinder Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And one of the topics that, quite frankly, we haven't discussed in nearly six years of doing this podcast every week is what happens after you stop working in veterinary medicine and we want to talk about some of the factors that might drive you to an early exit what you should be doing to prepare today what about insurance oh gosh there's so much to talk about but before we do start talking about all of that as always i am one of your co-hosts dr ernie ward
1: and i'm registered veterinary technician becky mosser
0: And Becky, you know, when you pitched this idea, I was thinking, well, you know, we talk about exit strategies a lot as veterinarians, as veterinary practice owners, but we really don't give much thought or discussion to everybody else.
1: Huh. <laughs> that, that's a familiar trend. But no, we really do here, of course. But it, yeah, so if anybody who knows me or has been in the proximity of me in the last month knows that I hurt my back and I am, one, whining about it constantly, two, Walking like the hunchback of Notre Dame. And three, pretty miserable about it. And I was thinking to myself, like, if I was in clinic, one, no one would want to work with me. Right. (laughs) Two, I don't even know what I could do throughout the day. I would probably have to be up front and be working customer service because I really am. Even standing for a long time is super painful. And I was just thinking to myself, like... How many of my colleagues say, I know I can't do this forever. In fact, specifically, it's that I can't wrestle dogs forever. That's like the the, the words I hear over and over again. And so it feels to me like support staff mainly has this like thing in the back of their head of I know I can't do this forever. But I don't know that I necessarily see a lot of them working toward a different goal Um, I think a lot of them end up in management or subsequently promoted, but it's like, is this really a road we're traveling with an intended, you know, destination or are we just kind of riding the wave and hoping everything goes good?
0: Right, and Becky, I want to hold that thought because that's a very important element of this discussion that is like, okay, so what is the end goal here, right? Do you just work yourself here forever till you can't? But I want to talk a little bit about what you just you just said, and that is, okay, right now, you need to be preparing yourself to do this job for a long time. And, and honestly, Becky, that's what led me to my own personal health journey. I mean, this all happened early in my career. I'm owning a clinic. I'm in solo practice and very rural, as you know, North Carolina. So there was no hope. (laughs) I was like, I'm going to be doing this by myself for a very long time. And that was really part of the catalyst for me saying, I need to take better care of myself. So this is all happening in 1995 and 1996. And, And honestly, Becky, it was that sort of survival instinct, right? I was like going, oh my gosh, if I don't have the energy, if I don't have the physical abilities to keep being a veterinarian in small town USA, then I'm out of a job and I'm out of luck. And that could be a very serious consequence for my family. So, you know, Becky, I think right now, if you're listening today, viewfinders, I think the first thing that Becky and I want to emphasize is the is the emphasis on self-care, right? I mean, this is no joke.
1: I'm trying to picture like a version of Dr. Ernie that sits down with beer and pizza. (laughs) <laughs> and doesn't get up at 5 a.m. and like a sauna. And, and there was. Like, all, all I that cannot was. even picture a, a Dr. Ernie that exists like that. But yeah, yeah, it's like, I think we always think we have time, right? We, yeah, oh, right. And, and it's so funny. I, I just went to my doctor for my yearly physical and he was kind of griping at me about this, that, and the other. And I was like, man, being 40 sucks. Like he didn't gripe <laughs> at me this much last year. And I, I said I was like, "Hey, you weren't that worried about this last year." And he was like, eh, I kind of thought you were gonna do something about it because right. <laughs> I wasn't taking the meds he put me on because I didn't like them." And he's like, "Well, I kind of thought you were gonna be compliant," but <laughs> it, 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 it brings it to the forefront of my mind. Is like it creeps up on you, and truthfully, I don't even know what I did to hurt my back. There was no acute, real situation, and I'm thinking to myself, like I would be out of practice, and if I wasn't prepared for that. What would that look like? And then also just like how quickly my career went that I am 40 and that I did always say I'm not going to be able to wrestle dogs forever. What was that number in my mind that said when when was I supposed to stop wrestling dogs and what was I going to do when I was done? Um, I think that this is probably familiar to a lot of folks listening who who know that this isn't what they're going to do forever, um, even even as credentialed staff. But I don't know what the backup looks like.
0: Yeah, and, and I do want to get into the backup because you need a backup plan. But but getting back to this, Becky, it it happens so quickly. I mean, I can't tell you how many veterinarians and other professional colleagues, dentists, human surgeons and so forth that that I have in my life that have suddenly been completely derailed, taken offline by an Seemingly insignificant injury, right? I mean, like they don't even like you, they don't know exactly what happened, but suddenly their back prevented them from practicing dentistry, yeah. right? Right. And, and, and in fact, my dentist had to retire in his 50s because he could no longer do the job, right? He was in excruciating pain, had had multiple surgeries. So the, the thing that, that I want to emphasize to you, viewfinders, is the fact that this can happen unexpectedly out of nowhere and literally at the just like a lightning flash.
1: Yeah, well, right. And that's the other thing. Right. So we're kind of talking whole body health. Right. Right. But I think we all know it's well. So first of all, we're around tons of zoonotic diseases. Right. Like we know that in general. So we can be taken out by any one of those. And it only takes one catastrophic bite. It takes only takes one catastrophic move. Literally. Catastrophic. We know that people get bit by cats and then lose fingers over it. right? And I'm like, if you're a surgeon <laughs> and that's your specialty, what happens when you can't use your hands anymore? So we're talking whole body health, but are we even thinking about that one body part that makes us employable being gone?
0: Right, right. And, and our hands, our arms, yeah. you know, I mean, all of this. And like Becky said, a lot of the duties of our job uh, is restraint. And that requires yeah. a lot of Physical effort, right? You've got to be flexible and strong. You also have to have a keen sense of touch, you know. So, I mean, this is a difficult job. So, I, I guess the first thing, you know, step one is take assessment of your current physical state, right? I mean, like that's that's you really do need to be honest, reflect genuinely on like where you are. Uh, again, I'm I feel very very fortunate that Laura and I early in our career, literally for fear, right? Because we we're like we're stuck here, you know, we're yeah. in Calabash, North Carolina. And, uh, you know, so we said, how do we stay strong? Right. And of course, it's just yielded you know, decades now of, of positive benefits. So that's the first thing you need to do. The second thing. And, and Becky, I guess um, before we get into all the more pragmatic is to take real stock of your mental health, because, Becky, we're talking about physical. But, you know, at the same time, suddenly, you know, you can have a mental health crisis that takes you offline.
1: I mean, it's physical, emotional, financial that we've talked about this. It all ties together because you can't be unhealthy in any one aspect of your life and and have balance. I mean, you can fake it for a little while, but it's all going to catch up. So, yeah, I think you have to take stock. And I think the important thing you said is be honest. I mean, we don't really want to think about it, but but can you honestly assess where you are in, in the whole eight pillars of health?
0: Yeah, and and just one other quick aside, Viewfinders, about how this stuff can happen. And look, you know, this is not going to be one of those, like, oh, my gosh, all the unexpected trials and tribulations of life, because we all know that. But during the early days of of the pandemic, Becky, a a veterinarian called me. She owned a clinic, and she had an associate, uh, but just two two vets in this little clinic, and her mother uh, contracted COVID, and of course, this was back in the days when it was like, you know, you're going to the ICU, which she yeah. wound up. And so the 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 owner of the practice, the key, you know, producer of the clinic was now taken out because she had to go take care of her ailing father, you know, some other, an aunt, you know, there, there's a lot of that drama going on, right? And she goes, you know, Ernie, I don't understand. I'm, I'm hearing all this talk about remote work. How could we ever do remote veterinary medicine? Now, telemedicine aside, what she was actually digging at, Becky, was that, you know, how do I fulfill my duties as this practice owner and practitioner. Right. And I think that that's something too, that we have to sort of understand is you need to probably have in your backup plan and your, your, what what do they call that? The, the escape bag or whatever, you know, The the to go bag. That's right. You need to have say, okay, what can I do to generate income? And so Becky, that's the first thing I want to talk about because from a technician standpoint, you're right. A lot of your value is like what you can do out there with the dogs and the cats and the horses and the cows.
1: Physically. physically, what you can physically accomplish and do, and take off of your veterinarian, who's like counting on technicians to be the way that they're going to push through when they physically can't do it. Good point. Um, you know, and and that's where we have a very uh, you know expiring career, I guess, to where hopefully we can do it for, I mean, I know some fit 60, 70 year olds out there. I see some people in practice running circles, uh, around the youngins, but it's not to be expected. And uh, again, I think we take for granted the idea. I'm going to do this till I'm old and I make the choice not to.
0: Right. And that's, that's the first thing, right, Becky? It's like, so is that your career trajectory to do this until you can no longer physically or mentally or emotionally do the job? Because uh, Becky, I think that is a bit risky.
1: Well, not only is it risky, but I think, what does that look like? What is not being able to physically do it anymore look like? I think we move our own goalposts, right? And so it's like, when I stop X, when I can no longer X, And then all of a sudden you hit that goalpost and so you move it a little bit because you didn't intend to be there so soon or whatever it is. And so um, I don't know that we necessarily make an agreement with ourselves that says when I fill in the blank, then fill in the blank and then and then stick to that. And I think that's the biggest problem for us um, is we don't actually know what that time looks like. We just feel like we'll know it when we're there.
0: Right, it's an, a, a romantic ideal, right? Like yeah. we have our, our our this vision of ourselves being, you know, eighty five years old, gentle veterinarian, the country doctor Ward, you know, yeah. and he's just sitting there, you know, stroking the the dog, <laughs> you know, and he's like, yeah. I think it's time for me to take care of the grandbabies, or and. and let me tell you guys, we don't get to make that decision because yeah. a whole lot of life happens leading up to that romantic vision. And so that that's really where I think. So Becky, uh, pragmatically, from a veterinarian perspective, right now, I think that if Whenever I'm talking to young vets in particular, I'm like, you know, you probably should at least stay up with what's happening in telemedicine remote care and that sort of thing, because that might be an out for you for some reason, right? What about on the technician side? I mean, telemedicine is also an opportunity, I think, for for many technicians.
1: Well, 100% it is. Telehealth, it, you know, in terms of teletriage and teleadvice, and that's growing and as hard as everyone's working for it, not to it's it you know what's yeah. what will happen in case there are right it, it's going to be um but also tons of veterinary technicians um and paraprofessionals out there are, are are out there making their own businesses they're doing they're being creative and finding a space that they can work within long term that is great for their mental emotional financial health whatever it is that they're focusing it on um and so i think they're creating their own paths right in different careers and different ways to be to be and maintain longevity in the profession which is probably also contributing to the shortage, right? Because I think there are still a lot of people out there who are credentialed, who are not working in the more traditional sense. Um, And they're creating their own longevity. They see this. They're the ones that are ahead of the game.
0: Right. But that Becky, they're doing it in response to a failed system, right? Because there is no future pathway. There's no, I mean, I would love to know how many of our listeners actually have any kind of decent retirement program or package in their clinic, right? Especially if you're a vet tech or a CSR assistant. I mean, it's Rare, right? And, and even Becky, you know, we were offering these things in the '90s, and I'll tell you, I was always disappointed when you know I would have these employees who, in their youth, which is when you should be stocking away even a little bit because compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world, and and yet they would refuse. They'd be like, ah, you know, and, and you're like, what are you going to spend the money on? Ah, I'm getting a new motorcycle <laughs>
1: or whatever. Hey. You know, it's like, hey,
0: sorry about the motorcycle dig, but you know, that was a true story. That was a true story from one of my. Okay, texts. well, it, yeah, well,
1: but you know I, mean, what I think that's saying. because first, well, so first of all. The the eighth, side, the eighth wonder of the world, as we know from The Rock, is the backside of water. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> two, yeah, you're right. And again, I think it's because we don't see it. We're we're in a funny spot, I think, um, especially like I think about folks my age-ish, where um, the generation that raised us, for the most part, had retirement. So it like in our brain wasn't something you thought about or were taught about because it was just happening for them. It was very common and built into a lot of jobs.
0: Yeah, the, bo- so, the boomer generation, right? Right, You're right. exactly. They, they got so a pincher and all it. that stuff, right? Yeah.
1: So it, it was emphasized to find it, but not how to get it if you didn't find it. And so most of us, like you said, don't have that. a lot of the a lot of us move into university settings or, um, you know, corporate settings where we can get it. That's that's some of where that, quote unquote, mass exodus goes, right? Like where we have right. every, losing everybody to corporate and stuff It's like, well, these things we're talking about are there and they're going to where those benefits are it's because they do see the longevity and they are getting on board with that. Um and so, but, but I think you're right. I, it's really hard to think about it right now. And I think that goes also even for health insurance. I see a lot of younger technicians who work in a clinic yeah. where health insurance is offered and they pay a portion of it. But just the idea that like 175, 300, whatever it is, depending on your family size is coming out of your paycheck. They're like, I I need that money right now. Um, and it's really hard to give that money up on the front end and they don't see the value. So Unfortunately, it's that thing that you have to teach your brain to con- conceptualize something that it can't conceptualize because it hasn't experienced it.
0: Yeah, really good point. The other thing, viewfinders, I want to emphasize to you guys is getting disability insurance. Uh, and again, you know, it t- takes many different forms. You can get a lot, a little, whatever, but you should have some something, some kind of coverage. I know I talk to a lot of vets and vet techs, Becky, and they're always like, "Oh, well, I'll get work." Workman's comp or whatever—that is not—that is not going to pay the bills. You know that will pay.
1: Terrifying.
0: Yeah, and an acute injury, and it's difficult to file. I mean, it is—it's—it can be a nightmare. I mean, I've been through this on both sides, and and I can tell you, it's—it can be a bit of a nightmare.
1: Well, and I think you know to the point of the, um, insurance. The like, what did you just call it? Workman's comp. Workers comp. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I haven't worked for somebody (laughs) else in so long. Yeah, the workers comp is. The thing you don't realize is it's not up to your employer. Okay. They have an right. insurance company backing them. So when you think, oh, my employer would never do that to me, they would never fight it. It's not always them. And, and I've seen so many people end up in a situation where like it, it just to be honest, Drug testing can lose you an insurance claim. So if you are out there and you have a recreational use and you get hurt on the job and the insurance company decides they want to know that you were sober when it happened, you can lose that claim because you fail a drug test Um, and and possibly lose your job because you fail a drug test, right? And um, so when you're partying with your friends on Friday, not thinking about getting bit on Tuesday, you could literally... Lose your job, lose your livelihood, and lose that claim.
0: That's terrifying. And and it's true. It's true. So again, I think you should have some form of disability insurance, if at all possible. And if you're a veterinarian listening today... You absolutely have to, and this would be something you should be negotiating for. And like Becky said, hey, it may cost you a few dollars out of your paycheck, but I'm telling you, if you ever need this, and thankfully I I have not, but I know many who have, it, it can absolutely be the difference between you staying in your home or or losing your home. And uh, you yeah. know, again, these they're not that expensive, uh, but you do need to. I, I just I just really can't emphasize it enough. I think that's that's been one of those things, uh, even where I am in my career today, in my mid. 50s, you know, Becky, we still carry disability because it's like, okay, I you know, what would happen to my family? Right. I mean, there's an income stream here.
1: I was really lucky in that in my early 20s, I worked for a health insurance company and I saw bills all day, every day. And I knew what it costs to be in the hospital. Um, And that was that was really um, something that I will never forget, because because you're exactly right. Like if you're seeing it right now as a matter of, you know, I need that three hundred dollars a month to stay in my home. Um, I need it in my pocket. You're, I'm sorry, you're living outside your means. And I understand that that in this day and age, it's basically a a necessity to live outside your means. But you you have to think about the other ways that you can lose your stuff and lose your livelihood. Um, and it's really hard to think about right when you're in survival mode, but. If you're already living in survival mode, what happens when something actually happens and you are in survival mode? That terrifies me for our profession.
0: Right. And the other thing, too, as we sort of, you know, come to to towards the end of today's conversation, Viewfinders, is, is Becky, you know, I think we often don't give thought to what is next. So let's say that you just decide on your own that you're ready to to step away from practice, from clinical practice application of your skills and credentials. What do you do then? I mean, what I found interesting is, so the boomers, you know, the generation ahead of me, Becky, most of them were like, you know, I'm going to retire at 65 and have my ties, you know, and play golf, right? Or whatever. Now, Gen X, we were like, screw that. That sounds ridiculous. not only do I not trust that anybody will actually pay my pension because we didn't think it existed, but it just didn't seem like a very fulfilling end to your career or life. Yeah. So, so what I'm, I'm seeing now though, Becky, are a lot of, you know, when I talk to, to millennials, uh, a lot of times they aren't giving and an answer to that, you know? And and so, right. you, you know, what I'd like to to ask you, Becky, is, I mean, what advice do you give to those technicians when you say, what's next, right? I mean, you know, because you can stay within the boundaries of veterinary profession. You can still lean on your credentials. I mean, we're trying to offer little snippets and bits of advice here and there, but Becky, you know, what what comes next? And I do want to also get into the, the lack of vertical ascent in, in the profession. But just like, OK, so you decide at 50 that you want to n- leave clinic because it's just too demanding. W- what do you suggest for vet techs and vets and whatever?
1: Well, so first and foremost, this is where credentials are essential, you know, and where people will say like, well, you know, why would I get credentialed? It's not going to change my job. It's not going to pay. you know, it's because of the long term, because being able to do anything else in this profession is going to require those cred- credentials so when you want to step away from the floor. But I also think, you know, this is really personal. It's a personal journey. And I think whenever you're ready to step away from anything else, it's it's your why. And yeah. you have to be doing something that brings you joy. And so if you know that, you know, like it may be go work up front as a CSR and, sure. and offer that expertise that you have and being able to train. Um, it may be moving into rescue work or it may be walking away entirely. Um, I think you have to find the thing that you've always wanted to do and you haven't gotten a chance to do, or what brings you joy, or what's gonna make you rich and comfortable. <laughs> and I mean that seriously, exactly. right? I agree. Like, I agree. Yeah. When you finally because that's what's happening even right now, people are saying, Well, I can go work at the gas station, you know, Bucky's, I keep cheering them on. You know, we can go work at Bucky's for $22 an hour. And so maybe it's not gonna bring me joy, but it's gonna bring me financial security. And so I think when you walk away, it's like, why are you walking away? And then what will fill the hole that's going to come behind it? Um, and so, my advice, as always, counseling. <laughs> Find someone <laughs> professional to walk you through that journey because you are not going to be able to do it by yourself. But more than anything, it's 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 like you mentioned. It's like being honest with yourself. But I really think for those folks right now who think to themselves, like, why would I go get that extra credential? Why would I go do that extra thing? It's not going to put money in my pocket today. Might be worth looking at. Will it put money in your pocket down the road? Um, And, you know, and what are your resources around you? Um... You, f, f, I'm lucky in that my husband has a federal job, and so there's things that we can lean into. He's disabled through the VA. That those those are things that we right. know are secure, and so we're able to work around those things and buy motorcycles. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, <laughs> but for other folks, it's like, what are those other opportunities? It doesn't have to be in the box. It might be truly just buying some CDs today that you know yeah. will, will grow in 30 years. It might truly be you guys. Just get an advice a financial advisor, and ask them if you can have a, an hour of their time. Um, there's so many resources, resources out there, but I think the thing is, is stop pretending it's not going to happen. Stop lying to yourself and be proactive about at least thinking about this. No matter no matter how old you are right now, um, and kind of having that what if because again, even at twenty. You may think to yourself, I've got this trajectory, but what happens when that's thrown off? And, you know, I know that there are technicians in this profession even who say, okay, well, I'm just going to insure this body part. I'm going to insure my my body that yeah. says if I ever have an, a, a catastrophic hand, back, knee, injury, whatever, I can't work, I get paid for that body part, you know, uh, like Tina Turner's legs, you know, <laughs> right, there, right. there are things we can do. Um, And I think for our office managers, our professionals, you should be looking for these resources and then getting them in your clinic. You know, there are tons of, I don't like Edward Jones or whatever, you know, I'm sure you get a financial advisor to come in and talk to your people. I'm sure you can find something to provide these resources um, just to just to have the conversations, just to show them that you care. And and honestly, because. If they have a backup plan, it's more likely to include you <laughs> right. than, Good point. you know, to say, well, you're completely And do, do you have a plan for if one of your employees gets hurt? Like, what would you do with them? Or would you have to completely eliminate them from the office? Are they just going to cost you money? I mean, I think these are realistic things we need to be thinking about.
0: Yeah. And and again, just to extend this conversation, I think one of the things that the profession has always grappled with, and in my opinion, has largely failed, is promoting you upwards, this vertical ascent. So yeah. most, unless you're a veterinarian and, and even then you kind of level out, you know, as a, as the top associate or an owner, right. But regardless, you know, everybody else, there's really not this sort of pathway of you go from here to there, to there, to there. And with each different level, maybe additional benefits or, or compensation or whatever responsibilities. So, so I think the corporate view of medicine, they are starting to satisfy some of that. And I think a lot of vet techs in particular are going, well, you know what, I can. Actually 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 be promoted upwards and do more things, become a regional manager, whatever within the corporate setting. Whereas if I stay here with this one little independent clinic in Calabash, North Carolina, I'm kind of stuck.
1: Yeah. And you know, I think you make a really good point as well. It went out of my head too. Hold on. What did you say when you started this?
0: Uh, Vertical ascent that the profession has largely failed, not giving a, a pathway for promotion
1: to add in on that hold on give me one quick second because I was thinking about how there isn't like enough room for everybody in the clinic to have that vertical ascent as it is you know what I mean exactly. like there's not
0: yeah jump on that because when I ended it was on independent clinics and I'm stuck here in calabash
1: well I think one of the problems is is that there isn't there There isn't vertical ascent for everyone in the clinic, right? So if right. you've got fifteen technicians, you're never going to need fifteen office managers a <laughs> right. you know, good point. You know. <laughs> oh, and the other thing I was thinking about with that is, you know, looking at the the physical and mental demands of each level. So as you do, so maybe you have a nursing level, one, two, three, and four, and that's your vertical ascent right now is like, are they doing less physically demanding things the higher they get? Is it, are they doing less mentally maybe taxing things or are we looking at how we space those things out or are they able to, you know, I've talked about compassion, satisfaction and, you know, we don't have to make it fair, just distributing everybody across the clinic. And so maybe when you're a level four, you're working- four days a week in the area that you prefer. Maybe you're doing less walking around the clinic. Like, I don't know, but can we look at these levels or can we look at longevity? That just says, this person's been here with us 10 years. We're really proud of that. But if I hired them at 20 and they've been here 10 years and I am still requiring all the physical, mental, and emotional things that I've required of them the last 10 years, is there something I can be doing differently for their longevity? Like, is this something we need to check in with? And obviously you can't control the lifestyle of your teams, nor should you, but is it something you could be promoting that health like Dr. Ernie's talking about? Can you have a Monday morning meditation, open a half hour late? I don't know. Can you do something to encourage that emotional, mental, physical, and financial, the eight pillars of wellness within your teams? For their own longevity, because it it one it takes the village and two, oftentimes we aren't going to do it for ourselves. We need somebody out there to do it for us.
0: Yeah, so I think Viewfinders, the the real take home message for today's podcast is give some thought, some some genuine thought on what would you do if you couldn't do what you're doing now, right? And, yeah. and don't just sort of just brush over it and say, "Well, I just I'd go work at another clinic," because that may or may not be a real option, right? Especially if there's a physical ailment or or some kind of other issue that just prevents you from working in the clinic. And I think that by that kind of introspection, you'll probably um, arrive much like I did. And even as a student, you know, Becky, when we were starting the Veterinary Success Club there at Georgia in 89, um, I remember telling the group that, you know, I kind of can see myself doing this this being clinical practice for about 20 years and then doing another 20 years or something like because you know I was already setting myself up personally for a journey that would take me in many directions and and of course I've fulfilled that journey i mean that's yeah. exactly my my path and and i think that you need to consider those paths right like what what would you do and and what would you know how would you make that happen because it's really by planning and preparing today in your (laughs) twenties and maybe your thirties that you're going to get to maybe where I am in my mid fifties and actually have something to, to, to build a foundation that your foundation is built. I mean, I mean, at this point it's done. And so, you know, if I didn't take the actions, the corrective steps that, and when I was 29, 30, 35, you know, I wouldn't be 55 and having the same, you know, career and and life and all that stuff. You know, it's a long life, Becky, and I think it requires a lot more thought, insight, and preparation than people sometimes think, right? I mean, this is decades that you really have to build out on, and I think that- what you want to do is start as early as possible. I feel very, very grateful for that, for the people that were in my life that said, hey, you, 29-year-old Ernie, you better get your act together or you're not going to be able to sustain this. And for financial mentorship who are saying, hey, if you don't start saving now, you're not going to get to where you want to get and all those things. like The earlier you do these changes, Becky, the bigger the benefits become.
1: Yeah. And I think what's really worth revisiting what you just said is it's a long life because it's beat into our head, life is short. Now you hear that all the time. Life yeah. is short, life is short, life is short. Well, <laughs> it's only short if you die early and it does go fast, but it is a long life. And, you know, we can't conceptualize what we don't know. But I think that if we are willing to be vulnerable and to think about the long term and to say, okay, if I look back, I thought I knew everything when I was 15. Right. I knew it all. And then between 15 and 40, I realized I didn't know much. And so I think it would be advantageous of me to assume that I know even less than I will in the next 50, 60, you know, when I'm 50, 60, 20, 30 years. Right. So taking the time to listen to folks who are there and to say, like, what else could I be wrong about? So I think that's really valuable to think is it is a long life. And it's going to be really long if in a bad way if you don't set yourself up for it um, or it can be a really good life that you have control over if you if you or some level of control if you start early and you do it with intent. I
0: love that. Well, Viewfinders, what's your intent after this podcast? Are you going to take some time and self-reflect on what would you do if you couldn't do what you're doing now? Have you thought of alternative pathways? What about vertical ascent in your organization? Is there an opportunity to be promoted up into different things that you might even be more interested in? We'd really like to hear like, what do you think about the future or more specifically your future within the veterinary profession?
1: I'm going and getting a massage this afternoon. That's my, <laughs> that's what I'm doing. But um, when I get back, I'd love to hear what you have to say. So hit me up, uh, both of us up. You Well, truly, yeah. you're talking to me if you're on Facebook. You're Pretty talking much. to him if you're over there on Twitter. But get much. in touch with us. <laughs> you can reach out to us um, at Veterinary Viewfinder and at vet Viewfinder over on Twitter. Also send us an email. We love to hear from you guys, uh, Viewfinder at gmail.com. And most valuable is I keep running into people who say, I had no idea um, you guys had a podcast. What's this podcast? And so truthfully, the way to get the podcast out to other people, make sure they hear these important conversations is to just give us uh, some stars and some kind words. We're ever it is you listen to your podcasts.
0: That's right, guys. Thank you so much. We appreciate you listening and give a little time to your future today or this week. Until next week, we'll talk to you soon. Bye.
1: Bye.